I'm excited. We're, we're jumping into a new series in the book of 1 Timothy, and I decided to call it Put Me In Coach. I've been thinking a lot about coaching lately, partially because Jaden's basketball league, that we all met together at the Prescott Valley Event Center yesterday. We took the family down there, and all the coaches and teams were there. Coach Hacker was there. Jerry in the back is one of our youth coaches, so pray for him. <laughs> I know he's going to be good. You did that last year too, right? But I've been uh, thinking a lot about coaching. And one of the things that's been on my mind this week is that no matter how good you are at the game, you always, always need a coach. In fact, my guy, LeBron James, who was named Sports Person of the Year after leading the Cavs to a championship last year after being down 3-1, He still needs a coach. I read a story about it that that drove it home. Best player in the world. I know some of y'all don't like me bringing up Cleveland a lot, but because they're world champions, I believe it's relevant to everyone. Okay, so go with me on this. Best player in the world. If you watched the series last year, you know that the Cavs were down three games to one. In games five and six, LeBron James scored 41 points in each of those games to help tie it up. I read that in game seven, two minutes before half, final game of the series, the Cavs are down three, and coach Tyron Lue said to LeBron James, the best player in the world, we need more out of you. And at first, LeBron was a little upset, like thinking, what more can I do? I just had two 41-point games back-to-back. What do you want from me, coach? And you know what the coach said? He said, stop being so passive out there. Stop turning the ball over, which he had been doing in Game 7, and start guarding Draymond Green. A couple minutes later, they went into halftime, and LeBron's still a little upset about this, so he goes to the assistant coach and said, I don't know what Coach Lou wants out of me. And the assistant coach looked at LeBron and said, you know what, all the stuff I've read about you says that you trust your coach. Why not trust him now? So then LeBron went to one of his teammates, James Jones, said, I can't believe Coach is doing this. What does he want from me? And you know what James Jones said to him? He said, well, is what Coach said to you true? And it was. LeBron went out there the second half, gave it his all, and they won game seven. Later on on the flight after their celebration party, he went to the coach and said, thank you. I needed that. And I read that story, and it just drove that home. We all need a friend, we all need a mentor, we all need a coach, wherever we, we find ourselves in, in life, and in a way, that's what this book of 1 Timothy is all about. Paul left his ministry partner, Timothy, in the city we know as Ephesus, said, I want you to lead the church there with the elders, and this letter, as well as 2 Timothy, is Paul's coaching his friend Timothy as to how to lead the church. So we ought to be thinking about a couple of things as we go through this book. One, who's coaching me in my life? Who's discipling? That's the Bible word. Who's discipling me? I know there are two groups of people in the room. There's one group that says, I I need a coach. I need someone to mentor me, and and I want to find one. There's another group that says, I got this. I don't need no one. Well, I hope that latter group will see through this book. We all 
need somebody to coach us. So we'll learn about that relationship. But along the way, as he coaches Timothy, as to how to lead this church in Ephesus, it's cool because we get to hear a little bit of God's heartbeat for the church. The church in Ephesus and the church right here in Prescott Valley. If we want to know what God cares about in the church, we get a front row seat in this book as Paul tells Timothy, hey, here's what you need to do in the city of Ephesus. And I want to sum it up as three things. Kind of overview style today. That's all we're doing is getting an introduction to this book. We're going to see that God cares about right teaching. He cares a lot about it. He cares a lot about right living. And he cares a lot about right relationships. Those themes are going to come up over and over in this book. And I just want to give you an overview this morning, kind of whet your appetite. It's my hope that you'll dive into this six-chapter book this week and read it for yourself. Let God speak to you. But for now, let's just take a quick look. God cares about right teaching. Here's a couple verses in the book. You can turn there if you want or you can just listen to God's word to show how much God cares about right teaching. 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says to Timothy, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. 1 Timothy 4.6 If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. 1 Timothy 4.13 Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Public reading of Scripture is exactly what we're doing right now as we look at this book. 1 Timothy 6.2 These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. 1 Timothy 6.20 Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. When he says, Timothy, guard what's entrusted to your care, he's talking about teaching that has been entrusted to Timothy by Paul. From God, the truth. And it's not just teaching that says, be good boys and girls. Do this and don't do this. You know what's at its core? The good news of Jesus Christ, who came to save sinners and set them free and enable them to live a new life. 
That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all people. And finally, 1 Timothy 3, 16, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. You ever look at your life and say, how do I attain true godliness? Paul's going to tell us right here, 1 Timothy 3.16, He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Whose life is that a summary of? Jesus. You want true godliness, you must come to Jesus. I look at this idea of guarding the truth, preaching the truth about Jesus. And I know in this world, this, this world wants to say, you don't need to make such a big deal about that. This world believes that all truth sort of blends together and sometimes even we make our own truth. You read this book, you see different. God cares a whole lot about the truth. So as a church, we must get bolder about speaking the truth of Jesus and guarding the church against false teaching. We have to be bold about that. We had an anniversary this week, January 2nd. It was our 19th. I understand the Tapoofs had number 11 this week, so congratulations to you guys too. One of the things that, that I wrote to Carolyn as I thought about our relationship was, I said, in a world of static, you're the station I was looking for. I know that's mushy and all. That's how I really feel. I'm so glad God brought her into my life. In a world of static, you're the station I was looking for. And I I was thinking about all the messages in the world that the world has. And, And if you envision the messages of the world as static, sometimes the church works awful hard to blend in with all that static. We we try to water down what's in the Bible and leave parts out so that so that we don't stand out too much. But What I want to say this morning is we need to stop trying to blend in with the static. Because there's people in the world looking for the station we got in God's Word. And whether you call the call letters station H-O-P-E or L-O-V-E or G-R-C-E, because you can only have four letters, or or T-R-T-H, whatever you call the call letters, there's people in the world looking for what we got. So the challenge Paul's given to Timothy is don't blend in with all the static. Let your station of truth and grace proclaim my word loud and clear. The world needs it. I think about Tuesday. Tuesday at 4 o'clock at the Vista Point Clubhouse. We're going to be there for the memorial service for, for Janie's son, Christian. And I met with Janie this week and As we planned the service, one of the things that she told me was from the beginning of the service to the end, I want this to be about reaching the teenagers that walk in that room. 
there's going to be a lot of teenagers there. So when you walk in that clubhouse at 4 o'clock, the music that's playing may not be your style, but that's because it's for the teenagers. We're not going to be wearing suits up there. We're going to be wearing this because she wants to reach those teenagers. The message we're going to preach, she said, I want, want you to preach that one thing I know Christian would say to this group out here is that hope is only found in Jesus Christ. Right down to the wings that are going to be served after the service. It's all about conveying Jesus' love and truth to the teenagers that are going to be there. Because Janie knows that's where hope is found. Jesus Christ. Let's not water it down. Let's not hide it. Let's not make it a politically correct service. Let's give them what they need. And that ought to be the mindset of the church. Let's not worry about being politically correct. Let's be biblically correct. And preach loud and clear up here and in your individual lives and workplaces and neighborhood the hope of Jesus Christ. Are we believing and teaching the right stuff? And are we keeping the wrong stuff out? That's right teaching. But Paul doesn't stop there. As you go through the book, you also see that he cared an awful lot about right living. Check out just a couple verses. 1 Timothy 2.1 I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. Pray for all those. Why? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God is calling on His church to live godly lives and holy lives to help in the endeavor of people coming to be saved. That's what I read in that verse. 1 Timothy 2.8 Therefore I want the men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. You know what the idea is there? We come in church and we raise up our hands. Paul's saying, that's good and all, but what do those hands do during the week? What do you use those hands for during the week? Are they holy hands or are they harmful hands? Are they building people up or tearing people down? Holy hands. He says in the same passage there, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles, or gold, or pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And rather than getting wrapped up in the details of the first part, I want to emphasize what he's saying. What he's saying there is, ladies, what's the first thing people think about you? Is it, wow, that lady's a stylish dresser, or wow, that lady, there's something different about the way she lives. There's something different about the way she she loves people and treats people. There's something different about that one. You see it in his list of qualifications for elders, that he cares very much, not just what elders teach, but how they live. 1 Timothy 3, you know some of the things in the list. The elder must be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders. 
similar list for deacons. And then he talks to women again. He says, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. More to the point, he looks right at Timothy. Check this out in 1 Timothy 4, 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set an example for the people looking at your life. I remember a story I heard one time about two guys sitting down talking and one guy was bragging about how many times he had been through the Bible. The other guy looked at him and said, that's good, but how many times has the Bible been through you? I like that question. And that's what, part of what Paul's getting at here. Don't just have right teaching. Have right living. I want to tell you a story about the power of right living. A couple months ago, we got a letter from the district of Humboldt Unified School District. They had done some research about rental rates for schools across the country, and they looked at how much they're charging groups to rent gyms like we do. And they realized that they were charging a lot less than other districts around the country were. And they sent us the rate chart of the, the increase they were looking at, and, and it was about double what we're paying, which would be a significant wham on our budget at the church next door. But the district uh, guy in charge of the billing said, we want you to have a meeting with the school principal, Sarah Schnorr, and we'll leave it up to her discretion what she's going to charge you guys. So we, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. We had, I had the meeting this Thursday with the principal here, and I walked in not knowing what to expect, sat down, and she grew up in Big Ten country too, Iowa, and we got to talking, and she said, I just wanted to, to talk with you about what you think would be fair for, for a rental rate uh, for the church next door. She said, you guys have done a lot for the school. There's been a lot of partnership in different things. In the last year, a couple things that you guys have been a part of. You helped build a shed out here. You helped the family that couldn't have Christmas presents get presents. We helped the teachers get massages at Teacher Appreciation Week. Remember all that stuff? You guys were all a part of it. and She remembered all that stuff and she said, we want to keep working with you guys and so I wanted to ask you, what would you think about keeping the rates the same as they are? <laughs> I sat there. I thought of a lot of possibilities for that meeting. I got to admit, I don't have enough faith to imagine that's what it was going to be. And I sat there and said, that would be awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And I was thanking God in my heart. Wow. Now, number one, that's, that's God's work and God's favor. But, but number two, what I want to say is the way you all have been living in this school had an impact on outsiders looking in. It, it struck them. It stuck with them. It resonated with them because they see a group of people here that lives out what we talk about. And, and that meant something to them. A couple weeks ago, I got a call. It was right around the time of that bad storm that came through, first rain and then snow. And it was somebody going, I think they were just going through the phone book looking for different churches. 
and they landed on the church next door. And so I, I talked to the guy, his name was Ricky. Him and his brother had been camping in the area. And that storm system came through. And so they were desperately looking for somebody that could help them get a motel room, a church that could help them at, just get a couple nights at Motel 6 because that, uh, we'll call it a blizzard. Um, that blizzard came through. So I said, well, how's about we meet up at the Motel 6? I, I thought, you know, that's something that as a church I want to be about. I want to meet people where they're at. But I want to meet him. And so we met the guy and... We ended up helping them with a night, and another group helped them with a night. But in that meeting, I did something that I picked up from our buddy Andrew here, who led worship this morning. He, he shared this with me a couple weeks ago. After we paid for the room, instead of just moving on or saying, God bless you, I, I talked with him and his friend and one other lady, and I said, I, I want you to know why we're doing this. A lot of people do good things for a lot of different reasons. Some people do good things to try to make themselves feel better. Some people do good things to try to get a better standing with God. The reason our church is going to pay for this night is neither of those. It's because God gave us everything we need in Jesus Christ. He sent His Son to save us when we couldn't be saved on our own. He made us righteous before Him. It was a free gift for all who would trust in Him. So out of that, we want to bless you. And the lady standing there, she started tearing up right away. She said, wow, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> and I said, can I pray with you three? And we got to pray right there at Motel 6 before I left. What I think about in that situation is, boy, when you combine right teaching with right living, it's powerful. Because sometimes right living alone can get kind of annoying. <laughs> you ever notice that? Some people that live right are pretty annoying about it. Like, look at me. Look at what I did. It's really selfish. But when you live right because you know you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and you convey that message in the process, it's a powerful thing. Those are two examples where our church with this right living is making an impact right here in our community. So finally, I want to talk about right relationships. Right teaching, right living, and right relationships. They all kind of go together. But 1 Timothy 1, you remember he commanded certain people not to teach false doctrines anymore. But in verse 5, he says what the goal of that command is. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You see, Paul knows false teaching messes up the love we have for other people often a very selfish thing. True gospel teaching brings love as the Spirit does His work in us. He cares about how we love each other. You see it in the list of qualifications for the leaders again. 1 Timothy 3.4 The leader must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. You see God's heart for relationships? He wants it to start at home because he cares about what happens in those relationships at home. First Timothy 5, he starts to give Timothy these rules about how to deal with different people in the church. First Timothy 5 verse 1, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers. 
older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. He's saying, Timothy, I don't want you to just teach the right things and talk about the right things. I want you to treat people with love. 1 Timothy 5.3 talks about caring for widows in the church. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. You got a widow that's in trouble? Church, help her. Come around her. But he also goes to the widow's family. In verse 4 he says, If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Not just the church's job. If you've got a widow in your family and you can do something about it, that's the first line of defense. Help them. Be there for them. Love them. Finally, he talks to those who are rich, which in the grand scheme of the world, when you look around the world, I'd say that includes all of us in this room, 1 Timothy 6.17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Relationships are so key. To quote another one of my good friends here, Paul, if truth is the train, relationships are the track upon which the truth travels. It's how we build that open conversation about the truth. Relationships. I'll give you a couple examples of how this works out in real life. The first one's a bad example. We've got a friend that Carolyn has walked and witnessed with. We found out she had a serious wall against the church. Not this church in particular, but the church in general at the time. And as Carolyn got to talking with her, you know what the wall came from? Her dad was a deacon at a church when she was growing up. And while her father was a deacon, putting on a great show for the whole church body, he was also cheating on her mom, having a relationship with another woman. Dad was saying all the right things in public. He put on a great show Sunday morning, but because of what he was doing to his family at home, she had a serious wall against the church because the relationship factor was, was breaking down. Let me give you a good example. A couple weeks ago when my parents were here, I took Jaden and Evan up to the park with, with Grandpa Mitchell. Big Pop, they like to call him. And we took Jaden's new basketball, which they got him, and Evan's bike, and we were all playing. And, and a man walked out of the restroom, looked like he might be homeless. And while I was playing a game of 21 with Jaden, and Evan was riding his bike around, my dad struck up a conversation with the man. As they talked for 15 or 20 minutes, I, I caught bits of it and started praying, because my dad was witnessing to him about Jesus talking to him about eternal truths. And after they finished and the guy walked away, I, I grabbed the boys and grabbed my dad and I just said, you guys, I want to tell you what was just happening there, what your grandpa was just doing. Your grandpa was just telling that man about Jesus. What, a, what an impressionable moment. And I know it stuck home 
because of the way my dad treats the kids. He, he loves these guys. He played pie face with Jaden, which if you know what pie face is, you turn the crank and if, it's your, if, if it clicks on your turn, you get whipped cream in your face. My, my dad played that with Jaden. He went outside and, and played with them and shoot, shoots hoops with them, throws snowballs with them. Regularly asks them, how, how can I pray for you guys? He's got a board at home that he writes down prayer requests for us and our kids. So when I told him, Big Pop's telling that guy about Jesus, I know that was impressionable because of the way he loves them. Two, leads me to ask, how are our relationships? Are we loving people in a way that is distinct and draws them closer to Jesus? Whether it's our own family, our co-workers, our neighbors. It's so important. Now all of this, the right teaching, the right living, and the right relationship, Paul speaks of it in the context of this messed up, beautiful, imperfect, wonderful group of people we call the church. <laughs> it's all in that context. First Timothy 2 verse 14, he says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. You ever heard that description of the church before? God's household, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So what's our takeaway? When the weeks to come, we're going to go through this, ver this book, verse by verse, and, and unpack what Paul has for us. This was just an overview, but here's my encouragement for you this week. It's a six-chapter book. Sometime during this week, I like to do it in one setting. Sometimes read it through in one setting, and then maybe after that, one chapter a day in smaller chunks. So you get both the big picture and the, the nitty-gritty. And as you do, here's my encouragement. Anywhere you see right teaching in the book, underline it and put a T next to it. And as you do that, say, am I believing the right things in my life? And am I doing a good job of keeping the false teaching out? Anywhere you see right living, underline it and put an L next to it. And ask yourself, ask God, how, how's my living? Am I setting a good example for those looking into my life? My kids, my spouse, my co-workers, my neighbors. And lastly, anywhere you see him talking about right relationships, underline it and put an R next to it. And ask God to show you about your relationships. How are my relationships? Am I showing love in a distinct way that, that draws people to Jesus? And ask God to speak to us as we go through this book and see His heart for the church.